Hello, all you wonderful people, and thank you so much for joining us today, and welcome to the Sunday Morning Roundtable discussion recorded from the Plainfield Christian Science Church Independent, Plainfield, New Jersey, the United States of America. We welcome you all, and we will, our subject today first is man, and we will start with our morning prayer. Good morning, everyone. I'm reading from Miscellany, page 165. Goodness never fails to receive its reward, for goodness makes life a blessing. As an active portion of one stupendous whole, goodness identifies man with universal good. Thus may each member of this church rise above the oft-repeated inquiry, what am I? To the scientific response, I am able to impart truth, health, happiness, and this is my rock of salvation and my reason for existing. Goodness and benevolence never tire. They maintain themselves and others and never stop from exhaustion. He who is afraid of being too generous has lost the power of being magnanimous. The best man or woman is the most unselfed. Mary Baker Eddy. Wow, that's wonderful. Thank, Thank you. you. How true. Okay, watching point. Watching point number 191. Watch lest you fail to follow St. Paul's admonition to rejoice in affirmity. Wood, chopper, wood choppers cut down trees during the winter. Then they rejoice when the spring freshets come because they furnish the motive power to sweep the logs down. Our study of the letter of science and our effort to establish its truths and consciousness correspond to cutting down the trees. Then through the compelling nature of affliction and infirmity, we are forced to seek the divine remedy to translate our understanding into demonstration so that it becomes practical and established. On page 254 of Science and Health, Mrs. Eddy says, to fear not the mighty floods and storms which we encounter when we launch our bark upon the ever agitated but healthful waters of truth with the quiet surface of air, where in human harmony we are lulled into the sleep of stagnation and death. Rightly understood, the storms which come to overflow the placid waters of human harmony help to sweep our understanding down the rivers of demonstration to the ocean of divine love where spiritualized thought mingles and unites with God. Hence, we should rejoice in such storms, end quote. Thank you. <clears throat> okay, comments on that. Oh, I just love the sweep, our understanding down the rivers of demonstration <laughs> that, to the ocean of divine love. Man is tributary. That's what made me, made me think of that. Yes. 
Mrs. Eddy, um, in <laughs> on page 96 of the blue book, well, we never can know who is in reality a Christian scientist until he is tested under fire. Then what is left are dregs unfit for use till purged and purified, or they are qualities that evil cannot destroy and are held by the power of God. I thought that applies to this. That is absolutely right. Go ahead. No, it's not the human comfort is is standing when it all seems so dark and see that and then the power of God you will feel then the power of God when you come through. Thank you. Yes. I, I dearly love that quote from Mrs. Eddy because um, I think we've all been there. And it is this purifying um, process, the, the heat that burns off the dross and the gold remains. And, and nobody likes that time particularly, but when you look back on it, and it does come to an end, a pre- not, oh, there's not a total end, but an end to some of the worst assault, shall I say. You'll see the great growth that you have done, what has transpired during those difficult times. And we should look forward to that whichever pushes us to make progress. I mean, she says in the textbook, trials are proofs of God's care, right? That should be written on our foreheads. (laughs) And when we have periods of human harmony, what then? Be careful. That's that's the time to be extremely alert, right? (laughs) Not to go to sleep. So easy to do, and you can think that you're working, but um, sometimes you're not really working. You're just having a good time. (laughs) You're absorbed in your materiality. Um, In the lesson, the first part is on Citation 9 in Science and Health about working out your own salvation is the demand of life and love, for to this end God worketh with you. Occupy till I come. Wait for your reward, and be not weary in well-doing. If your endeavors are beset by fearful odds and you receive no present reward, go no back, go not back to Aaron nor become a sluggard in the race. And then, when the smoke of battle clears away, you will discern the good you have done and receive according to your deserving. Love is not hasty to d- deliver us from temptation, for love means that we shall be tried and purified. And we had a wonderful Bible study yesterday on Joseph. If you missed it, listen to the recording. Because this is what happened to him, right? I mean, my gosh, all those years. It wasn't just a week or a month or a few months. It was years of being tried. 13 to be exact. (laughs) But then when the smoke of battle cleared, he saw the good that had been done. And... He just kept working, um, and so so must we. 
And this is where we get our strength. It's not, as we say over and over again, about sitting in your prayer chair and reading and then going off and doing whatever you darn well please. <laughs> this is about applying it. This watching point connects with last week's too about the tree building the roots and um, so you don't get blown away. You've got to apply the science when the when the storms blow. And it becomes stronger to you if you do apply it. It does. If you just kind of take it. Uh... That's right. It strengthens you to, to apply it. Mrs. Eddie says, tear of triumph harms. And when you have your triumph, you want to just rest on the work you've done, which is a, a bad thing. And there's no such thing. <laughs> there's no such thing, really. Couldn't Every day happen. is new. Go ahead. Like, oh, over the years, couldn't happen without the unity or having a church where there's a community of people that, you know, could really, uh, they mean, such a, a good environment for people to feel loved and at home, supported, and everything else. Thank you very yeah. much, Craig. That's right, Craig. That's what a good church should do. We watch each other's back. And, uh, you know, kind of wake each other up if, if it needs if it needs to be and you know one of the things that we have all observed and I know many of you have observed is that the more useful you become to God the more error is not going to like it and it's going to try to keep you from doing what God wants you to do so don't get discouraged when the trials come, when the challenges come, and they will come, you know, they'll come tailor-made. They'll come through your family. They'll come through your friends. They'll come through your job. They'll come through whatever is near and dear to you. And so don't, and, and don't, don't get discouraged. Don't take it personally. It's not people. It is the impersonal error that is just trying to take your Christ from you and to keep you from doing what God wants you to do. And if you can keep your wits about you and keep God in your heart and not lash out against people, you will rise above it and you will be stronger for it and you will be very, very useful to God and to mankind. Yes as was Joseph. And I think um, that's why the, the learning that all that comes that's negative is animal magnetism and we learn to handle it. Eustace writes something rather beautiful. He says that now the point is how do you handle animal magnetism? Not as evil to be destroyed, but as in its true sense, as the angel of God urging you forward in your footsteps heavenward. I thought that was a encouraging. Yes. That's a great way to look at it. It yes. sure is. And that goes along with, <clears throat> this is in the lesson twice this week from Romans, and we all know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. So the very trial, Mrs. Eddy says, the thing that seems so wrathful, 
You can entertain an angel unawares. Doesn't she say that? That's what Eustace is saying. Um, and what seems so awful to you, um, it's going to work together for your good. Now, there's a qualification to that, which is obedience. You have to be. Yes. Doing your best. To them that love God mm-hmm. and to them who are called according to his purpose. Now, Joseph, yes, he loved God. That was sort of the theme of yesterday, He, the Bible study. He loved God. He was always in God's presence, always talking to God, listening to God. And he certainly was called according to his purpose. That goes along with what um, Florence read in her prayer this morning, an unselfed love um, and drink with Mrs. Eddy, her life's purpose of establishing true Christian science. These are the things, these are the things that um, keep us grounded. And so no matter, once you have those two things that you love God, you feel you're called according to his purpose, you have an unselfed motive plan in your life for whatever it is you do, then whatever happens to you will work together for your good. Whatever, how awful, whatever can be the biggest mess in the world. You just trust God, you keep working, and it will work together for good. God will turn it to gold. That's why Mrs. Evans taught us when we are faced with an unpleasant challenge to demand the blessing because there is a blessing in it if you demand the blessing if you whine and complain and go down with it then you're you're lost but you but if you demand the blessing you'll get it it makes you look forward to it too well yeah and that's what it was saying i guess it was what Somebody, Florence read, or the watching point, they will look forward to it. Yes, you go rejoice, rejoice in adversity. Now that really flips era. <laughs> when you say, okay. Bring it on. Bring it on. <laughs> I didn't You're only an angel message. You're only an angel message to make me better and stronger and happier and healthier and wiser. And teach me something. I remember Ms. Evans said, probably was Mary Grady. She said, this can only do me good and bring me close to God by overcoming it. Yeah. Never had a problem. Right. And that was when she said that, she said, even if you fall down and break your leg to get up and declare that, it can only do me good. It can only bring a blessing. Thank you. So this is how we handle so-called problems. Rejoicing with joy and knowing there's going to be a great blessing from it. And also, well, that I quoted from Romans 8. And then in the lesson in Science and Health, also citation 8. <laughs> in some ways, sooner or later, all must rise superior to materiality. And suffering is off the divine agent in this elevation. And then all things work together for good to them that love God is the dictum of the scripture. And dictum is a formal pronouncement from an authoritative source. And our authoritative source is God Almighty. So when we read these things, we have to understand this is God speaking to us, these promises in the Bible. 
and also in science and health. Um, this is God speaking. It's not just some little lady who wrote a book. I was reading an article by Clarence Chadwick. I think it was in The Liberator that was on Mrs. Eddy being the woman in the apocalypse. And he was talking about people can say the scientific statement over and over and over and why the healer has no meaning. And he said, what really helps you is to understand it wasn't just some little lady that wrote this down. And it's my statement. This is the word of almighty God. And she was prophetically um, known as the woman in the apocalypse, as was Christ Jesus. Something very astounding and extraordinary. And when you get that behind it, you'll watch. It'll jump off the page at you. Very important we understand that. And it'll work miracles in your life, so-called miracles. <laughs> yes, yes. It is it's up to us to make science and health our autobiography. Yes, that's Well, that's it. right. That's right. And when life deals you a lemon, <laughs> what do you do? Out of lemonade. <laughs> exactly. You got to do something. You make the lemonade. But I do understand. It's sometimes easier said than done. <laughs> <laughs> Undoubtedly. It's always oh. easier said than done. <laughs> yeah we get challenged so but that's why mrs eddie says you know christian scientists have enlisted in an army yeah. mm -hmm. this is not cream puffs at 20 paces <laughs> <laughs> yes. but the enduring fact that god is with us it, it that is so helpful yes it is no matter what we have to meet and if god be for us who can be against us. And that battle is the Lord's. <clears throat> Thank you for that reminder. It's not you battling anything. Yeah, we're rising above the mist. Sometimes when you battle too much, you've made this huge reality of it, and you've got to remember not to do that. Rising above the mist, Mrs. Eddy says. Now, this week, I was so proud of myself. <laughs> I rarely say that, but um, because many of you send me wonderful things, and I, I usually have Gary print them up for me, and then they get put in a folder. Sometimes I, I get right on it, and other times I don't. So this week, I was organizing this <laughs> huge pile of papers, and I found so many really wonderful things in that pile, and now they're I'm putting them all in folders with what they are and what they aren't. <laughs> Anyways, it makes me so happy. <laughs> so, so one thing that I found that was so helpful to me this week, it was something that Thomas had sent me um, a couple of years ago. I'm sorry to admit that. Anyway, <clears throat> so I thought, well, today I'm going to spend some time, a little bit of history lesson and honoring Herbert Eustace, and also Charles Evans Hughes. Now, do any of you know who Charles Evans Hughes was? No. Okay. He was the counselor for Herbert Eustace in the great litigation trial. And Linda 
Thank you, Linda. Found a few things about him. Um, the achievements of Honorable Charles Evans Hughes, Sr., his 11th Chief, Chief Justice of the United States. That was 1930 to 1941. He was the 44th United States Secretary of State. He was the Associate Justice of the Supreme Court of the United States. It was 1910 to 1916. And he was the 39th Governor of New York. It was 1907 to 1910. Um, and this was published by something called Footsteps of His Flock. And Linda, tell us about that. Uh, that's a website total, uh, that's dedicated to Eustace writing and also the great litigation period. She has several interconnected yes. mm -hmm. websites. And, go ahead. No, there are quite a lot of good stuff on there, uh, Eustace's stuff. Eustace's stuff. These yes. are articles written by um, Eustace, and they were in the Christian Science Monitor, right? Is that correct? Mm -hmm. Through the home a forum. The home forum. And I didn't I didn't really understand this. Um, and they're wonderful articles. They don't ever they didn't put his name to it. Um, it said the articles were originally published under the authority of Mary Baker Eddy's eighteen ninety-eight deed of trust by the trustees of the Christian Science Publishing Society. And this and, and Eustace was one of those trustees. Yes. Who was appointed by Mary Baker Eddy to be trustees of her deed of trust, which is why every working Christian scientist should understand the litigation that took place in 1917, 18, 19, because it's, it's important history. And the lessons to be learned from it are in invaluable. They are because they are important for right now, because as we've been taught here, as goes the Christian science movement, goes goes the nation, goes the world. And I, we, you know, I, I don't say this critically because if I, all that had ha hadn't happened to us, to me in this church, I might not have known any of this either. And so it's our desire to at least try to educate people. Mrs. Eddy says to know her history and the history of the church is very important. She says that's what makes a good practitioner. So anyway, first I will start, get back to our dear friend. He is our friend, Charles Evans Hughes, honorable. I'm going to, Linda found something I found so interesting about his father. This is the latest in a series of posts about the Reverend David Hughes, father of Charles Evans Hughes, the Glen Falls native who was a Republican nominee for the president in 1916 and served as New York governor, U.S. Supreme Court Associates, Associate Justice, U.S. Secretary of State, and U.S. Supreme Court Chief Justice. Okay, so this is his father, who was a minister. And he says, which shows the uprightness of this man's father, slavery is an example of organized sin, the Reverend David Hughes said in a sermon published in the July 5th, 1861 issue of the Glens Falls Ma Messenger. Quote, if it be right for Africans to come over to America and go through all the cities and villages of our coast, burning whole towns and murdering men, women, and children, and capturing one of them out of 100, 
that they murder and take us to Africa and sell and bind and compel us to work for them as slaves, then the slavery in the southern states is right, end quote. He's going back to do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Yeah, walk in my shoes. Right. Yeah, thank you. He rejected the argument that the ownership of slaves that had already been in the United States for for years was acceptable. And this is a quote again. Does time make any difference with sin? Then this quote. We have winked at it as Christian men and Christian churches, he chided, chided. Our religious associations have degenerated in their sentiments and opinions concerning this enormous and legalized sin, end quote. That shows, that's his father. That's his father speaking out boldly. And and it was not a very good time to be doing that. It wasn't. In 1861. And, you know, the movie Harriet um, shows how the, you know, Christians, purportedly Christians, who were letting all this go on. Well, this guy is saying this is legalized, organized sin. He's calling what, what Mrs. Evans used to like to say. He's calling a spade a spade. He was not making it nice, was he? This is what it is. And let's take it from there. So this is the type of environment Charles Evans Hughes grew up in. I tried to look for a while ago. I tried to look for a biography from him and I I did find one, but I don't, I don't think it's in print anymore. And actually I I gave it to my son someday. I'm going to have to get it back from him (laughs) because he was very interested in this man because he was a very upright, good man. Now, his father and the son. Now, this is what Thomas sent to me a couple of years ago. Um, he says it's, it's in a book, um, Mary, Aker be, Mary Baker Eddy Betrayed by a David Robinson. Now, I actually have that book. It was sent to me by David Robinson, again, few years ago. It's very interesting. It was somewhat upsetting to me because of the title. And I I don't, I mean, it's, I guess it's a true title, but it's the idea of Mary Baker Eddy being betrayed. It's just upsetting to think that by her directors of her church. Anyway, and he goes into, it's one of the many history books we have. And he says a lot of very interesting things. And in it, he quotes this Charles Evans Hughes. They always give the Charles, Honorable Charles Evans Hughes, former governor of the New York State, who ran for president of the United States and later became chief justice of the Supreme Court, United States Supreme Court. He summarized Eustace versus Dickey, 1921, thusly. Who is Dickey in this case? Adam. It's Adam Dickey. He was a secretary to Mrs. Eddie. He was. He was. This is where, you know, it can get a little confusing, um, if you want to say that word. But Adam Dickey? Oh, Grace. Yes. Suing Herbert Eustace? Yes. yes. Suing. A fall from Grace. A fall yeah. from Grace. Annie, Annie Knott was on the board. William Rathbon. Adam Dickey and William Rathbon lived in Mrs. Eddie's home in Chestnut Hill. We saw their rooms that they stayed in. 
when we went to Chestnut Hill, the the lady that gave the tour there said that Calvin Fry had talked to Adam Dickey, and I believe it was William Rathbone too, saying that, um, Thank you. trying to explain to them that the what was good for the cause of Christian Science was indistinguishable from what was good and right about Mrs. Eddy. So. Thank you very much. Because they tried to separate that. That's a very important quote. I have that written in one of my multitudinous notes as well. But yes, thank you. Because they wanted to disobey Mrs. Eddy. They did. For the good of the cause. Yes. Thank you. That's a very important point you all have to understand. I read, too, they said she made a loving mistake with the estoppel clauses. Um, and they lived in her home, these two men. Annie Knott was a wonderful worker. Someone a while ago got angry because we brought this out because his grandmother was taught by Annie Knott. <laughs> but Annie Knott was a wonderful worker. Her child had been, been healed. He had had poison, drank some awful poison and had practitioner help and was healed. And she became a good worker. She knew Mrs. Eddy. And, and if you read Long Year or if you read anything to do with the organization, they will tell you these people stood up in a terrible storm and stood up for what Mrs. Eddy intended. Well, did they? But it's sin that did it all. So, I mean, in the human mind. <laughs> that's so. so anyway, now this is this quote from Honorable Charles Evan Hughes. Quote, it seems most unjust to Mrs. Eddy, most contrary to her teachings, to assume for one moment that she relied upon the despotic power which these directors have arrogated to themselves. The unity that these directors wish, the unity of despotic power, the absolute control of the entire government of the Christian science of Christian science is in the church and in the publications and everywhere else is the unity which might well destroy the very faith of the organization for the propagation of the faith to which they profess to be devoted. And this is a quote in the quote. There is nowhere now any more centrally controlled religious organization than the church founded by Mrs. Eddy. It is the rigidity of the organizational structure with its extraordinary controls over branch churches, practitioners, and other responsible leaders that has been the occasion for most of the conflict that has been aroused. Every measure the directors have taken to guard their authority has stifled freedom of thought and expression, inhibited initiative and responsibility, and has closed off the means of inspiration and instruction. Their every step has tended to dilute and emasculate Christian science. End quote. <laughs> Just pause and think about that. <laughs> because, wow, I think this was in his closing arguments. Now, Gary can tell a little bit of what the because a lot of you, we always get new people. Some of you know all this, some of you don't. So what was the litigation about? 
Yeah, for those who are not familiar with the litigation, Mrs. Eddy set up two organizations. She set up the, the Mother Church to be governed by five directors, and she gave them a manual. And the manual was, was given to her by God. Every bit of it was as inspired as the textbook. So the five directors had a manual to govern the church in Boston. Then she set up another independent trust for the publishing of the books, of the monitor, of the journal, of all the other periodicals. And she appointed three trustees to be trustees of that independent trust. And it had its it had it owned the publishing society and it published all the periodicals and it was separate from the church in Boston. And Herbert Eustace was one of the trustees appointed by Mrs. Eddy. And they were told to appoint trustees to, to fill as they retired to fill their positions. Well, by 1917, seven years after Mrs. Eddy passed, the board of directors of the church couldn't stand that the publishing society was independent of them. And so they sued the publishing society trustees so that they could appoint the trustees of the publishing society under the trust that Mrs. Eddy established to be independent. And it was a, it was a lawsuit that ripped the movement apart. There were those in the movement who saw how terrible it was, how destructive it was, how uh, disobedient it was to what God gave Mrs. Eddy. And they fought, they supported the independence of the trust that Mrs. Eddy established as an independent trust. And then there were those who were, quote, loyal to the directors, who thought that somehow the directors were doing the right thing. <clears throat> And so there was this huge, huge battle in the courts. And the, uh, the independent trustees actually won the court case to stay independent. But the directors, through political influence, they appeal to the court of Massachusetts. <clears throat> appealed and they were able to get a judge or a group of judges to, um, to, to judge in their, in their favor. And so they ended up uh, appoint with the right to appoint the trustees of the publishing society. And as soon as they did that, as soon as that was finished, they excommunicated the trustees of the publishing society. 
they excommunicated a whole bunch of people who were supportive of the trustees of the publishing society. In other words, they got rid of the best Christian scientists in the Christian science movement. And what was left were the people who were not really Christian scientists. Just businessmen? Just businessmen? The business, <laughs> yeah, whatever. They diluted and emasculated they, yes, exactly, exactly. And that was that was in 1921. And then they went around to all the reading rooms and they took out all of the journals yeah. that reported on this law case uh, so that people would not be able to read the true history of the law case. Because it was all recorded in the Christian Science Monitor. And we found this out because we didn't have it in our Plainfield reading room, so we went around looking for it and found out. Yeah, they were all they were all removed. Isn't that interesting? Finally, there was one clever person who found. <laughs> who found it. Well, anyway, but most you can check for yourselves. They're removed. They don't want you to know this. They don't want you to know this history, which is why we have to tell it to you. And if they felt it was right, there would be no reason to hide. Well, exactly. exactly. It's what you tell little kids. <laughs> right. <laughs> Was there more a request? Money from the publishing society? There could. Well, we, we feel that there was malicious. It had been infiltrated and there was some malicious element in it. And some of it was malicious. Some of it was ignorant. Some of it didn't understand. And they couldn't understand humanly. You can't understand the estoppel clauses. They can't be ex explained humanly. I think Mrs. Eddy knew knew all this was going to happen. She left a little, what's the word, a trick for them or something. A little, <laughs> see if you, can, if you can understand this. My church will go on the way it should. But if, if the human mind comes in and you don't understand it, it will degenerate. And that anyone who was the trustee of the publishing committee that was doing it right wouldn't allow them just to change science and health or anything else. They would keep it the way Mrs. Eddy left. Yes. Can I make a suggestion? Sure. Uh, um, could, those, could those articles be scanned or uploaded somehow just so that people could see that with their own eyes and even if they don't want to believe it. And actually I'll, I can link the great litigation website, but you can just go straight there and go through. Yeah. She has a ton of resource. Yeah. And there's a timeline of events and um, yeah. And she's done all that. Yeah. It, it's already been done. It'll be in round one once they go. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Michael. And, and in one more thing. I'm sorry. Oh, here, no, go ahead, please. Um, just that uh, what, what, what was being mentioned earlier, um, I think Eustace mentioned that the, the trustees were not required to be actual members of the Mother Church, and that was instructed by, I guess, Mrs. Eddy, and so it kind of hints at her, she recognized, you know, in her wisdom led by God that nobody should be directly, or you would not need to be directly under the board of directors, and that need to be independent of them, she recognized that uh, before she passed. And so that was, you know, that wisdom was already there, that she set that in place, intending for these, for the um, publishing society to be completely independent of the board of directors. 
uh, kind of foreseeing these problems. Yeah, she foresaw, she foresaw all this. She had, (laughs) she was having, uh, you know, she was having spats with the directors all the time. They, she was having to correct them and guide them all the time. She saw the human mind at work in the organization. And so she saw all this and God guided her in all of this, which is why the manual to disobey the manual is, is, is the equivalent of disobeying the 10 commandments. God wrote the manual for her and so, and they have grossly disobeyed it. And, and, and is it any wonder why that organization is shrinking and floundering? There should be no question as to why. We had something interesting happen this week. We had um, the First Church of Christ scientists in Ocean City send us a donation, and we found out that they were closing, and they were sending money to various churches, and someone suggested they send money to us, which is very, very kind of them, if any of you are listening to this. Um, not sure how much they sent, but anyway. I'm not sure either. It was... Um, interesting and then the other i i I think i've told you there's this church in california um that one of our members associates with and uh told them all about our church and and two two of their readers when they found out what was going on in the organization they they quit they have two more readers but she said that this this whole congregation it sounds like they listen to the round table and our service, and then they go off to their church. So if you're listening, well, hello, thanks for, <laughs> thanks for joining us and good for you. <laughs> and then, and then the same person contacts in, in London, good friend in London. She and this good friend, every morning they go over the prayer that Florence gives us Sunday mornings. And um, when this person first told this person in London first told his practitioner about our church. It was, oh, my gosh, don't whatever you do to have no contact with them. But now he found out that many of the churches or many of the people in this London church are following us. And uh, they're, one of their readers quit when she found out what was going on in the organization. So more and more people are waking up, um, and that's a good thing. And I just wanted to read, this is on the back of that book, Mary Baker Eddy Betrayed by the David E. Robinson. This is a quote from Mrs. Eddy. The students who truly love me are they who obey carefully my explicit instructions. Such are saved from the toils of the evil one. And then Acts 20. Take heed unto yourselves, for after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock of your own selves, not sparing the flock of your own selves shall men arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. And then it says, this is what happened after the departure of our leader, Mary Baker Eddy. While Mrs. Eddy was with us, her five member ecclesiastical board of directors asked her to change or remove the bylaw in the church manual on page 26, article one, section five, that required her approval as the pastor emeritus of her church, of that board, and then, but she refused. 
So, and now, and a lot of this, my friends, is recorded in the Eustace book, the beginning, called To the Reader. He will tell this whole thing to you. So that's one way you can get it. I'm just going to read a few excerpts from it that Linda got for me. Seldom, and this is about his lawyer again, his counselor. Seldom has the world seen such distinguished counsel collaborating on a case. The senior counsel was the Honorable Charles Evans Hughes, who is today, after a career of great honor to himself and his country, Chief Justice of the Supreme Court of the United States of America. Associated with Justice Hughes were Sherman L. Whipple, one of the most noted and talented members of the Bar of New England, and Silas H. Strong, a leading member of the Bar of Illinois, and at one time, President of the Bar Association of the United States. With these, there was also associated as junior counsel, Lothrop Withington, a brilliant young men member of the Massachusetts Bar. The trustees have always felt that these gentlemen so generously contributed their services, refusing compensation beyond what virtually amounted to expenses, because they instinctively realized the great import of the conflict. This is what our lawyer was like, too, in our case when we were sued by the board of directors in Boston. Excommunicated and sued, okay? And we would never do anything to them, never. It's not in our nature. Under the advice of their counsel, the trustee, while upholding their deed of trust, did everything in their power to prevent open conflict with the directors. But there was, of course, no possibility of preventing the inevitable clash between ecclesiasticism and principle. And then it said the, the entire proceedings in the court were published in the Christian Science Monitor from June 4th, 1919 to the final end of the case, January 31st, 1922, so that the world might become familiar with every phase of it. That's what Gary was saying. Those books mysteriously disappeared from the reading rooms. When the Supreme Court handed down its decision reversing the master's findings of law, and this is the Supreme Court of Massachusetts. The trustees were glad to resign their offices and elect new trustees in subordination to the directors and to turn over to them immediately the business of the publishing society. In accordance with this attempt, intent, the trustees published the following statement. We lay down our trust. During the period of each of our, our terms of office as a trustee of the Christian Science Publishing Society, we have striven to uphold what we believe to be Mrs. Eddy's design for the welfare and maintenance of the society. With the decision of the court, we cannot pretend to agree. It reverses what we believe to be the intention of the sacred trust we received from our leader and which we have pledged ourselves to defend Nevertheless, we are able to abide by the decision unhesitatingly since it is the finding of the court, which as good citizens, we are bound to obey. And we have no difficulty in doing this, but only a deep sense of peace because we know that truth cannot perish from the world so that if we are right, our course must ultimately be vindicated for principle will overturn, overturn, and overturn 
until he whose right it has shall reign. To all of those who have supported us in the joyful work of carrying on our leaders' publications, we would offer our sincere thanks, for we realize that their support was given to us out of an understanding of principle which never faltered and could not be shaken. The knowledge of this will prove to them a reward which cannot be dimmed nor taken away. Our trust itself we are able to hand over in perfectly sound condition. It no, owes no man anything. Its property is entirely intact. Whatever damage it may seem temporarily to have sustained has been wrought by Christian scientists themselves and can be repaired. For the outside public has never failed to support but was rather grown in its support of Mrs. Eddy's demonstration. To be obedient to the teaching of Christian science, every Christian scientist must learn to be a law unto himself. He must follow the Christ as he sees the Christ. And then quoting Mrs. Eddy in, in miscellaneous writings, be sure that God directs your way, then hasten to follow under every circumstances. Herbert W. Eustace. Lamont Rowland, Paul Harvey, at which point they were excommunicated forever. And it goes on to say about, um, <clears throat> well, it's a lot of reading, but he says that the persecution that went on, one, need, one needs only to point out to the wave of religious fanaticism which swept through the ranks of the church members at that time and which resulted in the wholesale persecution of all who refused to declare themselves supporters of the directors while the case was still pending in the courts. A chronicler of the events of this period in the history of the Christian science movement would unfold a tale in all essentials parallel paralleling the Inquisition of the Middle Ages, the method of discipline being, of course, brought up to date. And then, the trustees were standing for the absolute democracy of Christian science, the right of the individual Christian scientist to reform whatever duty is entrusted to him in obedience to his own understanding of divine principle, to live his life as a Christian scientist in accordance with that understanding, and without interference from any so-called supreme human authority. The very opposite is the contention of ecclesiasticism and was the stand taken by the directors. And then when this case is so read, the final argument of Justice Charles Evans Hughes for the trustees case before the full bench of the Supreme Court of Massachusetts will also be so read and its marvelous clarity of vision will be grasped and appreciated. He was a statesman. And, but, and a fine practitioner and teacher. Uh-oh. Well, <laughs> what, what I would like to say also is the reason I bring this up today is that um, Eustace lived a long life and had a good practice. He was, a, as Gary just said, a wonderful practitioner. He did great work, even though they tried to destroy him. And one thing I remember, he, one of his students was um, Richard Oakes. Remember Richard Oakes and how grateful we are to him because he saved 
Florence's blue book, <laughs> the green book, the yellow book. He took them all to England at the bidding of Carpenter Jr. So the books would not be kept in the archives, that they would be available to all mankind forever. And thank God for him. He was taught by Eustace. And when Oakes said to Eustace, aren't you going to get back at these people? This was just terrible what they did to him or did to you. Eustace said, don't ever say that to me again. He gave, got a sound rebuke for that. He said, love is the order. Love is what heals. That's why Eustace lived for such a long time. And that's the truth. Love. He said, if, if I dropped to that level, I would be dead. That's true of the great prophets. It's true of anybody who's been persecuted. If you drop to their level, you will be killed. You will die because you're not in the, the only saving point is being in the divine mind. Remember that. So Eustace lived a long and happy life. And after he was excommunicated, he traveled around the country for decades, healing and teaching. And he attracted huge crowds wherever he went and i remember him saying in his book that being excommunicated was the greatest freedom he could ever have been given yes he was so grateful for it yes and it was for us too the greatest freedom we went through all that wondering why well here we are thank god it, it, there was a divine plan so we have nothing but joy and happiness about it um and gratitude for being freed from ecclesiastical despotism. Yes. And aren't we all grateful for that? We are all grateful for that. We have a good God, and he is looking out for us. Absolutely. So, with that, I believe we have to end since the bell, <laughs> the bell has rung a while ago. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you all. Thank you all for joining us. Great to be with you all. Have a wonderful day. Thank you. And have a wonderful service. Thank you. Thank you.